Welcome back to another episode of the Sex Mancers Podcast. Yeah, I know, I know, it's been a little while. You know, it took some time off for the holidays. You know, that was nice. But one of the things that I've found out is after you take some time off for the holiday, it is hard to get back into the swing of things. It is hard because you want to go off and you want to make that holiday vacation last. You know, you don't want to give it up. You get used to it. I mean, the first couple of days you're in there and you're like, oh man, man, I can't stand this. You know, uh, there's so much that I want to do, but I'm not supposed to do it because I'm supposed to be on vacation. And then after you get through a week or two, then it's like, oh man, I don't want to get back into the swing of things. Oh man, I, I, I just want to go off and relax just a little bit more. Play one more video game, play, watch one more TV series, go on one more trip with the family. You know, whatever it is, it's always hard to get yourself motivated after you've taken some time off to get back because it's easy to get yourself into a state of, I need time off to relax. And it is hard to motivate yourself to get back into the grind of everything. But after looking at the calendar, I enjoyed one month off, one month of just rest and relaxation. And so I decided I need to get back into the swing of things. I can't take six weeks off, you know, <laughs> I'd like to take a whole year off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, uh, welcome back to the Sex Mancers podcast. And on this episode, I want to talk to you about rejection, rejection in the bedroom. Yes, nothing is more damaging to a relationship than rejection in the bedroom, not having as much sex as your partner wants. This is damaging, whether it's your wives rejecting their husbands in the bedroom. Oh, I just don't feel like it. We're only going to have sex maybe twice a month if he hounds me enough. Or husbands rejecting their wives in the bedroom. Either way this goes, whichever side is desiring sex feels rejected when the other side, the other's partner in the relationship goes off and rejects them. Now, we're not talking about one-off situations here. I mean, we all understand that sometimes you just don't feel like having sex. You're too tired. You're, you have an upset stomach. You're not feeling well. You feel like you're coming down with something. All right. We all understand that, but I'm talking about rejection as a result of you not being in the mood, you having a lower libido than your partner. All right. That type of rejection is damaging in the relationship. It always makes the other partner feel like crap. Now, one time, okay, you can deal with that three, four, five times in a row, all of a sudden you got a problem. Now you women out there, you know, maybe you've experienced this where you're in the mood. Maybe you've hit your ovulation week and now you're in the mood. You're horny. You desire your husband, but your husband's tired. Your husband is out there, you know, just not in the mood. You know, maybe something's going on. He's feeling a little depressed. You know, he's overworked and just tired. He's just whatever the reason is. Maybe he just feels like he's getting older and his libido is starting to wane a little bit. All right. Well, you know how that goes for you. You know how it feels on your end to go off and feel like you're being rejected. You know, your sexual advancements are just being ignored. Your hints, you go off and you try to initiate and he pushes you away. You know how that feels for you, don't you? You start wondering, what's wrong? Does he no longer sexually desire me? Am I not beautiful enough? Is there another woman? Right? 
So if you understand that, and maybe, you know, the amount of women who have felt rejected sexually is so low that, you know, you don't really understand the damaging effects of it when you do it to men. But if you have hit a period of, of time in your life where you have felt rejected in the bedroom, you know what that leads to. You start wondering about everything. Oh, does he no longer love me? Oh, does he no longer find me attractive? Is there another woman? Is you know is this you know the end of the relationship? Am I just not that good in bed anymore? Or was I ever that good in bed? You you know things start going through your mind, especially when it's not being communicated. And even if he communicates with you that he's just not in the mood, that he's just tired, he's just feeling worn down, overworked, stressed, he's depressed about the way things are going. Maybe he's had a string of bad luck. No matter what the explanation is, you can't help but in your mind try and figure out why doesn't he want to have sex? What's wrong with me? You know, so just think about that because the same thing starts to go in the reverse direction. Guys, you know, who desire sex with their wives and are constantly being rejected in the bedroom. The wife that has the low libido or just hits, you know, a period of time for a few months that she just doesn't feel like she's in the mood for whatever reason. Now, there could also be other legitimate reasons. Maybe you really are tired because, oh, you're pregnant and you just don't know about it yet, right? I mean, women in their first uh, trimester, you know, especially before they realize that they're pregnant, you know, the symptoms, you know, you're constantly tired, you're not feeling well, all these things are going on because your body's going through a lot of changes. But even at that, you know, your husband, if he doesn't know uh, that you're pregnant, is going to feel like there's something wrong with the relationship. You know, that you no longer desire him, that you no longer, you know, want to help take care of him, that you no longer find sex fun and pleasurable, you know, and then he starts wondering if it's him, you know, is it a problem with the relationship? You know, what is the issue? You know, either way it goes, when one partner is rejecting the other partner sexually, whether that has been going on for a long time or is just a recent development, it's damaging to the relationship. And no amount of communication is going to be able to stop the damage to the relationship unless you're sick, unless you're sick. Okay. In which point, you know, okay, that's understandable, but being sick only lasts for so long. So, you know, it, it just, people can't help but to try and wonder, you know, why it is that you no longer desire a sexual relationship with them or sex in your relationship. And the first thing that people always go to is thinking that the problem is with them, you know, that they've done something wrong, that they are no longer desirable, all that stuff. And as those thoughts creep into a person's mind, it starts creating well, a self-destructive path. They start, you know, getting a little bit angry, a little bit sad and depressed, a little bit frustrated, you know, especially sexually frustrated, depending on how long it goes in between each time that you end up having sex in the relationship. But they first internalize that. And then they take their internalization, which is just their fears, their, you know, lack of confidence and self-esteem, their insecurities, you know, and it builds up. And then eventually 
they take those insecurities and how it makes them feel and turn it around and may start taking it out on the other partner, the one that's doing the rejecting. And it's just human nature. Anytime you've had a certain type of relationship with somebody, and in this case, we're talking about sexual intimate relationship, and then it changes. It changes, you know, whether suddenly or gradually, you know, over a period of time. And then an aspect that has been a definite part of your relationship is no longer there. It's only human nature to figure out what's changed, what happened, right? And then without that communication, it's left to our own imagination to try and figure that out. Now, some people go off and engage in this damaging behavior of withholding sex from their partner because they think it's a way to get their way in the relationship, a way to control, manipulate, or train their partner. Now, usually when we talk about that, we're talking about that as women using sex as a way to control their men, you know, uh, using sex to say, hey, if you want to get some, if you want me to spread my legs for you, you got to do X, Y, Z and whatever X, Y, Z is, you know, whether that's doing more chores around the house, whether that's doing more uh, with the kids, whether that's engaging more in your hobbies, your activities, you know, dragging him to, I don't know. Let's say the opera, you know, let's say an art museum, let's say wine tasting, let's say whatever it is, you know, you want him to participate with you in a knitting class and he won't do it. So you withhold sex from him until he caves and does it. So in that particular situation, you're going off and saying, I'm not going to have sex with you unless you engage in activities that you deeply hate, that you do not like, that is basically like torture to you. Or maybe it's men, you know? Maybe the man has the lower libido in the relationship, which happens, and decides, hey, you know, my wife has a high libido. She desires sex quite a bit. You know, she gets really horny all the time. You know, she is young and, and you know, vibrant, you know? So I'm going to get her to do what I want. I'm going to withhold sex. Now, granted, this doesn't generally work, you know, uh, withholding sex on women as a means to get what you want nearly as much as it does on men. But, you know, if she doesn't let me watch my football game, I'm not going to give her any. She's not going to have that orgasm. If I don't get to, uh, I don't know, play poker with, you know, the boys, you know, play cards, you know, with the boys, then I'm not going to give her any. You know, the less she lets me do what I want to do, the less orgasm she gets to have. Well, the issue here is once you start the path of trying to use sex as a weapon, sex as a control mechanism, you're the one engaged in damaging the relationship. You're the one who is in the wrong. Sex is not a tool to control your partner. Sex is not a tool to go off and try and manipulate and dominate the other person. No, no, no. Sex is something that should be freely, you know, engaged in, in a relationship, especially if you're married and you have, you know, and you've already started having kids, you know, and all of that, you've committed your life to each other. Sex is not a means of control. It's something that you openly and freely engage in. You will do, you engage in it because your partner needs, it. you know, if you're not in the mood, you engage in it because you know, your partner needs, it. they need it. And sex is part of a healthy relationship. It's part of a healthy lifestyle. You know, withholding sex from your partner 
is like you going off and damaging their mental state and their health, their physical health, because there's a lot of you know mental and physical health benefits that come along with sex. But you're also going off and you're deliberately damaging the relationship because you're cutting off that physical bond with each other. The you know what really goes off and strengthens our emotions, strengthens our bonds, you know, strengthens our desires and feelings for each other. You know, so you're damaging their emotional state if you're withhold sex. You're you know you're damaging their physical state and you're damaging their relationship. None of this seems like a good idea in a situation where you actually want to keep the relationship alive. The only time you would really go off and decide to withhold sex is when you've decided that the relationship is over. When you've decided to go on and knowing that, you know, the moment you start doing it, that's what your partner thinks. You've already checked out of the relationship. You no longer, you know, plan to stay with them, that you're going to be leaving them as soon as you find a replacement. That's what goes on. And that's usually the motivation or the reason why one partner would withhold sex from the other. They're trying to, you know, prevent that emotional bonding because they want to leave the relationship. So you don't want to withhold sex in the relationship. You don't want to withhold that intimacy so long as you actually want the relationship to continue and to survive. And another way to say that is, if you want the relationship to survive, if you're still deeply committed to your partner and you want to, I don't know, ensure their fidelity to you, then you should not make sex to them less attainable and less frequent in a relationship than it was when your partner was single. You want sex to be more frequent, more attainable, more abundant than what they would see if they were single trying to date around and find a new partner. You know, sex, you know, when you're dating initially, when the relationship is first starting, yes, that's when, you know, you may withhold sex in the beginning. You know, you want the other person to prove that they are worthy of your love, you know, that they are the right person for you before you let them have your body, before you let them have your heart and soul. That's understandable. But once, you know, that's done, you know, especially once you're married, sex should be more frequent than any than anything they saw or could get when they were single. And yet some of you have it backwards. Some of you have it backwards. When you were single and dating, you made yourself easier to get. You were out there having, you know, having sex, you know, all the time you were saying yes to just about anybody that looked halfway good. And then you got married and all of a sudden you became a prude. Really? That is ass backwards. And yet I understand that that happens at times because while you were having fun, you know, being single, you did a lot of things that you regret. And, you know, therefore, once you get into a relationship, there are certain, you know, aspects of sex that remind you of this time when you did something and it, it, it was just, you regret, it. you know, it makes you feel bad, makes you feel like you were worthless. And then you translate that into the relationship. Now, of course, I'm talking about, you know, women and their psyches. I mean, men, for the most part, have very little, you know, in the way of regrets when it comes to being able to get sex while they are single. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, it, it's one of those things where men have two modes, you know, and that is 
single and in a committed relationship. When we're single, we really don't have a whole lot of a conscience when it comes to sex. And I'm talking about, you know, consensual sex. here. Well, you know, as long as the woman is attractive enough for us to get a hard on, you know, we'll pretty much go off and sleep with just about anything uh, with a pair of legs or heck, maybe not even a pair of legs, but anything with a vagina. You know, we're willing to do that and not have any second thoughts about it. No thoughts of regrets. You know, it's not as damaging to our psyche. But once we get into that committed relationship, you know, and we've committed, then all of a sudden other women can't tempt us. We haven't, you know, we stop. I mean, we'll look, you know, yes, we'll always look, but we'll never act on it. We'll never actually go off to desire other women, you know, so long as our wives are, you know, the women in our lives are going off and taking care of us and not trying to treat us like complete shit. You know, we have our two modes, you know, single mode, no conscience, nothing. Um, (laughs) Committed mode, very much conscious, very much about, you know, wanting to make sure that our wives are happy and we're very much committed and that anything that could be, you know, uh, considered infidelity, you know, is damaging to us. I mean, we have, you know, just kind of like that switch in our head, single, that switches off and woo, you know, we'll do anything committed that switches on and we could feel bad about any situation where, you know, not that something actually happened, but just that it, you know, a situation where it may have almost happened, you know, um, you know, or just thought about it, you know, so guys just kind of have that two modes and I get it. Women can say, well, we have that, that mode too. It's like, yeah, but you know, I don't know there, there's just, I've come across too many women who, you know, had been, you know, wild party animals sleeping around with just about anybody while they were single. And when they got into the committed relationship, it had that emotional damage. Now, that's not all women, of course. You know, th- there is no one-size-fits-all situation here. You know, everybody's a little bit different. Everybody has different levels of, you know, when they are single. You know, women have different uh, levels because they're all different of how much sexual activity, how many partners, you know, was acceptable before it's damaging psychologically, you know, before sex becomes just meaningless in any way, shape, or form, or, you know, and what they do that, you know, that level that once crossed, you know, ends up translating to damaging any relationship that they have going forward. You know, everybody has a different level of that. But the point here is, you know, in the relationship, sex should be more frequent and more attainable in the relationship than it was when either one of you was single. And it is damaging to the relationship to withhold sex when your partner desires it, to try and use sex as a means of controlling or, quote, training your partner. You know, it's something that you should be doing, you know, as long as you're not feeling sick, you know, or something's wrong, you should be engaging in sex as often as your partner desires. That means men, if your women desires more sex than you, then you need to find a way to be able to keep up women. If your men desire more sex than you, then you need to devise a way to keep up. Anything less is damaging to the relationship. By giving them as much sex as they desire in the relationship, 
That's an act of love in and of itself. Now, here's a complaint that's all too common in a relationship here, and maybe it's the lead to what we were talking about on the first segment. You know, maybe it's the reason why you no longer feel, you know, the sexual desire to be with your partner or your libido is low, you know, and this is uh, the complaint of my husband ignores me. My husband just isn't spending enough time with me. Now we hear that. Now we got to actually analyze this in a lot of ways, because for some women, what they say is not enough time is anything short of 100% of their husband's free time. You know, they need constant attention, you know, and the way to kind of say this is like, they're like a three-year-old, you know, they need attention 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you know, and that it's all about you and the relationship. You know, you're anytime he does anything that doesn't involve worshiping you, you get upset, you get insecure, you start complaining. How dare he spend any moment of his life doing something else that doesn't involve me? Now, when I say that out loud, you may automatically understand right away what the problem is and that that is a very unhealthy situation. But there are reasons why husbands, you know, will get into a situation where they'll start ignoring their wives. And as I think about this, the reverse could be true. The reverse, because, you know, again, there is no one size fits all in the relationship. The man could be the attention hog in the relationship. And the wife is like, dear God, I love you, but I need a few moments to myself from time to time. You know, so it it does go both ways. You know, it's just if we were to use stereotypes, it's most common that the wives want nonstop, constant attention and the men will ignore them. Well, what are some of the reasons why a husband may end up ignoring their wives? whether that's from time to time, or if that becomes a consistent habit. Well, one of the issues that may be going on is that you're trying to dominate his time. You're trying to make ensure that any free moment he has, when he's not at work, he must be with you. You must, he must be paying attention to you. You must be doing things together. Well, yes, it's good to do these things, but I want you to understand that in moderation, things are good, but going excessive on something, whether that's, you know, food, food, you know, and moderations, it's good, you know, and excess, it's very unhealthy. The same thing is true in the relationship. And so you may be trying to dominate his time. You know, we time, yes, that's important, but me time is also important. He needs time to relax and recharge. He needs time to do the things that he finds fun that you have made clear you do not like, that you do not want to do. You know, he needs the time to himself to do the things that you don't want to do, that you don't get to do during we time. And guess what, ladies? You should go ahead and give him some of that time because then that frees up your time as well to go hang out with your girlfriend, to go enjoy the activities and the hobbies that you like to do that he doesn't, you know, the, you know, the you stuff, you know, the stuff that you have to beg, plead and drag him kicking and screaming in order to do. 
Well, when you just give him some of his time to do on his own, that's when you can do those things. And I get that some of you are going off and going, well, you know, we're committed to each other. We've committed to sharing our life together. Yes, when you're in a committed relationship, especially when you get married, you make a vow to share your life together, to become one. However, you're still two individuals making up a whole, and you still have your different thoughts and opinions, and you still have your different interests. So you just need to make sure that you give each other that time to go off and engage in the activities that the other one does not like. Stop dominating all their time. And maybe it's just simple. Maybe they just want from time to time to be able to watch a TV show. And maybe it's a TV show that you don't like to watch. Maybe you're not into science fiction shows and your partner is. Give them that time. You know, movies, you know, sports, video games, going out and just hanging out with their friends. Give them that time. Stop trying to dominate every last second of their day. Okay. Another thing here is that people need to spend some time working on their goals and their career plans. You know, so let's say one of you is very much into, I don't know, stock market. Well, if you're dominating all of his time or you're dominating your partner's time, then how are they going to be able to go off and do the research into the stocks and help build up the family finances to be able to better provide the family or to work on career goals, career plans, life goals. Maybe there are certain things they want to accomplish in life. They can't do that if you are dominating every second of their free time. And success doesn't happen by accident. It takes intentional planning. So again, take the opportunity of the time you give your partner you know, to work or do the things that they like, to engage in their hobbies or to engage in you know, being able to plan out what it is that they want to do in life, strategize what they're going to do next and all that. Take the time that you give them for that, for you to work on your goals, your goals in life, your career plans. Maybe, you know, you give your partner uh, some free time because you want to research the stock market to build up the family finances, or maybe you just want to take the time to be able to relax yourself. The more time you give your partner, the more you know, time you're really giving to yourself. Now you're going, yeah, but I have kids. And the more time I give my partner, the more time I'm stuck with the kids by myself, unable to work on my thing. Okay, so you switch. You, know, you want time away from the kids? Give your partner time away from the kids. And then after you do that, then the reciprocation is they give you time. You, know, you, you plan this out. And one of the best ways to go about doing this is managing a calendar. You and your partner get together and you manage a calendar. You know, you take a look at, okay, here's the time, you know, that I leave for work and here's what time I get home from work. So now here's the available time that I am not at work. Let's plan out the me times and the we times. You know, that great level of communication there is awesome. You know, the mark of a great relationship is high levels of communication, communications about the finances, communications about, you know, the goals uh, for the fa- and priorities for the family, communication about how you're going to spend your time. That right there will eliminate 
99% of the problems in most relationships, right? High levels of communication on finances and how you're managing your me times and we times and sex that, you know, and high levels of sex that right there eliminates 99.99% of the problems you will come across in a relationship that will help create uh, the one of the most healthiest, satisfying, fulfilling, and happy relationships right there. Those three things. And a lot of what this podcast is about is about achieving those three areas, which lead to highly successful relationships. Okay. Another reason why your partner may be ignoring you is because of the way you treat them. Yes. The way you treat them, you know, you don't respect them. You don't show that you respect them. You don't show that you believe that they are equals in the relationship. You're always looking like you're mad, sounding like you're mad. And everything your partner does seems to piss you off. It's your body language, your tone of voice, the words that you use, you know, the Freudian slips. It's always there, you know, signaling that your partner can't do anything right to make you happy. Your, you know, words that you use are like Freudian slips, letting them know you're discontent. It's making them feel like complete and total garbage because everything makes you mad. Everything they do is wrong. Everything, you know, they do is just, you know, horrible. And you're upset and mad at it, at them. And you're constantly on their case about it. Now, when we come to the words that are used, okay, sometimes language is imprecise and sometimes people don't think about what it is that they, you know, really want to say before they say it. And so they use the wrong word, the wrong synonym, the wrong way of explaining it. And then the, your partner takes that in the most negative way possible, you know, and if your partner is insecure already, then a poor choice of word or a poor way of phrasing something just amplifies their own insecurities. And no one wants to feel like, you know, they're garbage. No one wants to feel like they're can't do anything right. And so if all the time that they're around you, you seem mad, you get angry at everything, even when they're just trying to be funny, your body language is just, you know, clear that you know, you're ready to rip their head off, well, then of course they're going to seek to avoid you. If being around you makes you so angry, then one of the best ways to make you happy is to not be around you. But we know that's a double-edged sword because then you feel like you're being ignored if your partner doesn't want to be around you. You feel like you're not valued in the relationship, which just creates this endless cycle, this endless cycle of your partner trying to ignore you, which makes you mad, but you looking like you're mad all the time is one of the reasons though why they try to escape and get away from you. Uh, you see where the cycle is there, you know, and they kind of feel like, okay, at least if I'm not in the same room as you all the time, then if nothing I do can make you happy, then the best thing I can do is to try and distance myself as much as possible so that if you're unhappy, at least I'm, it's not being taken out on me. At least I'm not seeing it. At least I can dilute myself into thinking that you're getting what you want, time to yourself, right? You, you start understanding that cycle there. You're mad, so he gives you time. But him giving you time makes you matter. And when he sees you, he can see you're visibly upset, like you don't want anything to do with them. So they try to give you more time. 
it's that cycle. It's that cycle. So if it's the way you treat them and the way you treat them is based off of your mood, you know, you're unhappy. So you take it out on your spouse. Well, that makes it so that your spouse doesn't want to be around you. And while the old saying goes, misery loves company, no one wants to be the company of misery. So just remember that. And don't try and put your partner always on the defensive. Try and, you know, choose your words carefully. Try and before you engage in a particular conversation, if you're already mad, take some deep breaths, go off and try and calm yourself down, pay attention to your body language and your tone of voice, and then approach them, you know, approach your partner and try to just communicate without making them the target of what you're upset about. Now, this one is more specific for the ladies out there of why your man may be ignoring you. And quite simply, it's that he has something on his mind. You know, when men come across a problem, you know, and they're trying to figure it out, their first instinct is not to go through and immediately share and communicate the emotions about the problem. No, their first instinct is to try and solve it themselves. That's just how they go through. They try to analyze the different angles, the different, you know, probabilities or probable outcomes, the probable causes of a particular problem. And then they try to figure it out themselves. They need to work their way through the problem. And part of that is because initially in the beginning stages, they may not be fully aware of what the problem is. They may not fully understand it. And therefore they don't have the ability to necessarily communicate what the problem is because they don't yet understand what the problem is. And this can go off into a lot of situations here, you know, because they're taking a look at the outcome of a particular situation and going, hey, this doesn't make sense. Why doesn't this make sense? Why is it that, you know, the outcome that I've seen doesn't match what I was thinking? What did I miss? And so they're going through and they're trying to work the problems out in their head. They're trying to go through and get to the point where they can explain it, where they can talk about it, where they can say, here's what I think is going on. They need that time to work through that. They don't work through it by communicating the emotions surrounding the situation. They don't necessarily go off and want to talk their way through the problem. They want to think their way through the problem. Now, this is something that I have an issue with uh, myself. My wife says, I think too much. I go off and I uh, sometimes have a problem with trying to keep things simple in my thought process because I'll go off and I'll see something that didn't happen the way I was expecting, the way that I had planned out. And I go through and I think about it. And when I do get to the point where I do communicate with her, you know, it is like a weekend long summit trying to explain the situation. You know, here's the situation. Here's the, you know, possibility of what it is. And here's how each possibility, you know, could actually, you know, be combining with each other to amplify the problem and go through multiple flow charts of these situations. And so sometimes she prefers that I don't communicate with her about what, uh, about an issue or a problem uh, that is going on because it gets to be very hard to follow. And then, yeah. So, you know, we just kind of need to work through here's the probable causes or here's the probable causes, you know, and how they're interacting with each other 
and how that interaction is creating a bigger problem. Or, you know, here's, you know, I can't figure out this person's response. Here's what I said. Here's how I said it. You know, what are, what possibly led to the negative response that was supposed to be positive? Oh, is there something going on in their life? What would explain that? What is the hypothesis? You know, it's like kind of going through the scientific method here in our mind until we can figure out which way makes sense. And then we want to go off and explain what it is we think the issue is. And when we do that, we're doing that more as a sounding board, a sounding board. Hey, here's what I came up with. Here's where my thought process is leading me. Now, does that make sense as I explain it to you? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But when men first come across a problem, we want to solve it and we want to try and solve it ourselves at first. So you need to go through and let him have that time to work through the issues in his head. You know, and if he, after a week, is still not talking to you about something, it's because he still hasn't figured out the solution. And maybe that's when, you know, you start getting on him about opening up about what's on his mind. But even after a week, depending on the complexity of the problem, that may not be enough time. You know, so maybe he needs two weeks to try and work through an issue. Okay, but once you start getting into the third week, that's when it starts coming across as, hey, he may not be able to solve this on his own. You need to start interjecting, but he'll appreciate you having given him that first two weeks to try and work through the problem uh, himself in his own mind, his own head, and being able to try and figure out what the issue is and what the solution is. Because I know in my own personal experience here, you know, especially with, you know, working in the, you know, and the work environments that I have. The issue is you never go to a person with just the problem. You go to a person with the solution. So if you come across a problem at work, when it comes time to go to your manager, you don't go to your manager and go, here's the problem. What do you want me to do? You No, 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 no. That's not how it's worked in any work environment I've been in. It's been Here's what here's the problem I've observed and now here are my proposed solutions. And that training does get into every aspect of our lives. You never go to a pro- person with just the problem. You go to the person with the solution to the problem that you observe. And so being on that you know mindset, you know whether it's a 40-hour work week or a 70-hour work week, having that mindset day in and day out. It's hard to get over that. You know, it's hard to, you know, go into other aspects of your life and go, okay, now I'm just going to go to you with just the problem. Can you help me find the solution? No, it's still, you know, ingrained. And it's just the way we think that we need to have the solution to present before we go off and talk about the problem. Now, yes, I know I've talked about in the past how guys are very good at compartmentalizing their life. They are when it comes to emotions, pers- you know, emotions surrounding personal problems going on, you know, at home, you know, doesn't get brought into the workplace. Issues and what goes on in the workplace does not get brought home. Yes, that is true. We're able to compartmentalize the emotions and the problems, but you can't compartmentalize the thinking process. You can't compartmentalize the habit of going through and saying, hey, this is the process I need to go through before I present you know, to you what's going on. 
you know, you can compartmentalize the emotions of it, but you still can't compartmentalize, you know, 40, 60, 70 hours a week of saying, hey, I need to have the solution before I talk about the problem to another person and then go home and completely flip that. And it doesn't work. So that may be what's going on. He's trying to find a solution to a problem before he talks about it because that's how his mind works. That's how his mind has been trained to work. That's how his thought process is. That is the habit that he's gone into. So feel free to give him a week or two to try and think his way through a problem and find a solution before you start demanding that, you know, his time, you know, that before you start demanding that, you know, whatever it is, you know, that you're demanding, you know, that is time that he does this, that, and the other thing with you before you try and go through and say, Hey, you're not allowed to have any time to yourself. He needs that time to relax. He needs that time to work on his goals and his career plans, how he want, how he's going to be able to provide for the family. He needs that time to be able to work through problems. You can do the same. You can take the time you give your partner as time for yourself. The time you give your partner away from the kids is to be reciprocated with times that they give you away from the kids. So yeah, those are the top reasons why your partner, especially you know if you're a woman, why your husband may be ignoring you in the short term. If it's something that's going on for a very long time, there's another set of problems <laughs> that are going on here uh, that you will need to work through. But short term, why he may be ignoring you, why your partner is ignoring you in the relationship in the short term. All right. So that's it uh, for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Go ahead and leave me a rating and review. Share this around on social media you know, help other people find the help that they need. And, you know, because I hope that if you're still listening to this podcast, it's because you find it valuable, you find it entertaining, and you find it helpful in your relationship. So share it so other people can find that same value, entertainment, and help that they need for their relationship. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And I will be back again soon.